0: Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 75 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at what needs to be in place in the UK before the ban on new fossil fuel vehicle sales comes into place in 2030. This is the second of a couple of episodes in which we discuss the different issues and concerns that will arise and what needs to be done to ensure the ban can go in on time. Before we start, I want to remind patrons that if you're listening to this on the Patreon feed and you're a VIP or all access patron, we've got a little post credit sequence where I talk about why I think the price of charging will have to increase dramatically over time. Our main topic of discussion today is 2030. In last week's episode, we looked at some aspects of the EV ecosystem that will need to be in place to ensure that the 2030 ban can take place. If you want to go back and listen to that, The link is in the show notes. Basically we identified eight key items that we need to focus on. Ubiquitous reliable charging infrastructure, encouraging motor manufacturers to make more EVs, reducing the price of new EVs, better dealer education on electric vehicles, better public education about EVs, a fuel duty replacement needing to be found, better and more widespread home charging solutions and pain-free charging solutions for the public. I'm going to go through each of these in turn and give some thoughts on why we aren't there now and what we need to do to move forward. In last week's episode, we covered the first four items and this week we'll look at the next four. So let's get started. Firstly, public education will need to improve. I mean, we've talked about this before. There are far too many people who think that EVs are still golf carts that do a top speed of 30 miles an hour, go 50 miles maximum and need all day to recharge. Hello Citroen Ami. But in reality, this is far from the truth. A lot of it has to do with out-of-date information, but much of it has to do with vested interests trying to muddy the water. I was in a conversation with my father the other day, and he was talking about getting a hybrid, and he couldn't understand why I was not necessarily as enthusiastic about them as he was. Uh, When I reeled off the different issues with them, you're still burning fossil fuels, you're looking around two drivetrains, you've got the maintenance for two systems, for example. He replied, well, what about all the lithium you'll need for the EV batteries? Where's that coming from? Well, I told him that lithium comes from brine, seawater, and we'll probably never run out of that. And then he said, but all the rare earth metals. And I said, there are no rare earth metals in an EV battery. You see, it's, it's misinformation like that that's holding us back. You've only got to read the social media comments attached to a post about someone praising an EV to realise that there are so many things that are outdated, or just plain untrue. The most common one is, but where do they get the electricity from? Coal! And that's factually incorrect for many, many countries around the world, but even in those places where it is correct, so what? We're talking about replacing oil extracted and refined from massive rigs that scar the landscape, pollute the air, the sea and the ground, sucking up huge amounts of electricity in the refining process, using cobalt to remove the sulphur and then being trucked to petrol stations in diesel tankers, where it's burned to produce toxic gases. The whataboutism game is very strong in many deniers. But even if we get away from some of the whataboutism, we need to start educating the population on some of the positive changes that have taken place in EVs over the years. A lot of people still think EVs only go 50 miles on a charge and need to be plugged in for hours and then need the expensive batteries replacing after about three years. And there was a point in time when that was close to the truth, but that time is well past. Perhaps the government needs to start producing a series of public service announcements about EVs, Take one aspect of EVs in each of them and get a 30-second debunker created. Link it out on social media and on the TV. Keep repeating the message. Batteries last a long, long time. Cars can go 300 plus miles on a charge. Renewable energy charges most of the UK's EVs. EVs don't have a higher lifetime carbon footprint than a diesel car just in the initial manufacturer. The list goes on. Once these are in place, the foundation for a better understanding of EVs will be strong. Next, Fuel duty replacement will need to be found. The amount of money the government will lose on fuel duty and vehicle excise duty means that alternate methods of taxing the public for driving will need to be found. I know it's painful, but it's obvious. Cheap EV running cannot last forever. I did a post about this recently called Charging an EV will cost as much as fuel in an ICE car. A link to this is in the show notes. If you're a premium patron, we'll be talking in more detail about this in the post-credit sequence, but for the rest of us, here's a shortened version. Charges are expensive. Charge point operators don't make a huge amount of money on each charge but public charging is also one of those areas where the government can add a duty charge to each kilowatt hour. The data are available to validate what needs to be paid in just the same way as each litre of petrol has a duty charged against it. Each kilowatt hour of publicly charged electricity will also have that duty levied. Now I'm not saying that all public charging will need to have duty on it but I am saying that by using a charge duty levied on rapid charges only the government could easily ensure they recoup money lost from the fossil fuel duty decrease and also encourage drivers to use destination or fast chargers to charge instead. This can be brought in on a very very lightweight basis to start with. Half a penny per kilowatt hour rounded up to the nearest penny? so that as uptake increases, the duty can be increased. Once the majority of the country is driving electric, the duty can and will be raised, or more accurately, managed on a yearly basis in the budget. I know it's not a nice thing to think about, but I'm almost 100% sure that someone in government is considering this right now. Next, home charging will need to be available. Not just seven kilowatt chargers like we have at the moment, but a whole ecosystem for charging. Solar panels, batteries, zappies, vehicle to grid. This will help offset the cost. One of the main benefits of having an electric car is that it forms part of an ecosystem. I was chatting with a friend of the podcast, Gary Wales, recently, and we agreed that when you buy an EV, you're not just buying a car, you're buying a philosophy. And part of that philosophy is understanding that there's a whole ecosystem around supporting and running the vehicle, which, if leveraged correctly, can benefit the whole of the electric grid. Part of this ecosystem includes making it easy and affordable for people to install solar panels on their houses. And this can either be uh, aftermarket or, preferably, as a default when new houses are built. The same goes for having charging points and storage batteries installed. The hardware that can be put into someone's house if you want to leverage electricity as a fuel is quite expansive and also quite expensive. What we also need are lots of different time of day tariffs to ensure that people use the electricity at the time when it makes more sense. Having cheap electricity, a storage battery and solar panels makes it very easy to use that cheap electricity at a time when normal electric prices are high, such as the peak time of 4pm to 7pm. And this allows us to flatten the curve, a phrase we've heard a lot of this year, and reduce the amount of power needed to be pulled from the grid. Once this happens, the need for peaker plants to deal with spikes in demand reduces, and this means fewer power plants and a lower carbon footprint. Another innovation that works, but is both costly and quite limited, is vehicle-to-grid charging. At the moment, the Nissan Leaf is the only car that can deal with vehicle-to-grid, but if this tech takes off, it's an ideal way to both help balance the grid and leverage the fact that so many cars will be plugged in at a given point. The government needs to look at expanding how this works and ensuring fast-tracked research to make this accessible by either CCS or Type 2, 7-kilowatt charging. As Robert Llewellyn said in a recent fully-charged podcast chatting with Sid Atkins,
1: In a fantasy world, we convert all the vehicles that are currently on the road now to electric. And if, if they could be all plugged in at once, which they can't, it, that will never happen. But if they could, that is 1.5 petawatts of petawatt hours of storage. So if we, there's 30 million vehicles on the road now. And if they all had about a 50 kilowatt hour battery, some are gonna have much bigger, some slightly smaller. But if you think of that, it's a, it's a roughly, this is a real rough, but that gives you some idea of what is, there is the potential there. That if you had 1.5 petawatt hours, that is what we use in about a year. This is the thing, it becomes such an. you then go, oh, hang on. So you're never gonna have that, but say you've got 10 million, cars that are actually plugged into vehicle-to-grid systems. That is very plausible. Yes. That is a phenomenal, that is many, many uh, gigawatt hours of, of, of the potential for the national grid to draw on.
0: With these innovations in place, the growing electric car market can help to reduce the load on the grid and get cheap electricity for the cars and reduce the carbon footprint of their driving. Finally, pain-free charging n- will need to be in place. Now, we've already mentioned the need for more infrastructure in place to enable charging, but this is different. For this, we're talking about the charging process itself being hassle-free. The best charging system on the planet is the Tesla supercharger network. It has three things going for it, which no other network can beat. It has numerous multi-store charging locations. They've just opened a 72 stall supercharging station in an indoor car park in Shanghai. The charging locations are high powered with anything up to 250kW charging available. And finally, but most importantly, they are literally plug and play. You connect the charger socket to the car and the charging starts. There's no app, no RFID card, no contactless payment, no subscription. The system is set up to recognize the car via the connection, link to your Tesla account and charge you that way. And this is what I mean by pain free. You ask any current EV driver and they'll tell you they have a wallet full of RFID cards or Forbes plus a folder full of charging apps on their phones. Of course, all new charging devices in the UK need the ability to facilitate ad hoc payment. Most people equate that to flash a contactless card at the reader and it's done. But in reality, it could be more complex than that. You might have to scan a QR code with your phone, which will take you to a screen where you can enter your payment details and have the payment validated before you can charge. Imagine doing this late at night in a dimly lit car park with a screaming child in the back seat. Not ideal. Then we've got the different types of cable for charging. Most new cars use the CCS system, but there's still a large number that use CHAdeMO. If you know which is which is no problem but if you're new to the process it can become confusing especially when a lot of CCS connectors look like AC type 2 connectors. Maddie Moat from Fully Charged Show fell foul of this issue when she took her Kia e-Niro to charge at a rapid charger for the first time. So why not standardize the connectors? Tesla seems to be able to do it. They have a single connector that works for rapid, high power charging and slow charging. My car, the Kia Soul, has two connectors, one for the CHAdeMO connector and one for the fast or slow charger. These are all things related to charging that add friction to the process. Friction is what causes things to slow down or not work correctly, unless you're a braking system, in which case friction is the process working correctly. If we reduce the friction, we make things easy. When things are easy, it makes change more bearable. And at the end of the day, we're talking about managing change. So we need everything to be as easy and frictionless as possible. So that's where we are. The UK government and governments in other countries are looking to ban the sale of new fossil fuel vehicles at a certain date. It's a very commendable target, but it won't happen in isolation. There have to be things in place in good time. I'm looking at you, Brexit trade deal. To enable fleets and car buyers to be confident and comfortable they're doing the right thing. They need to know they're not paying too much for the car. They need to know they can charge their car whenever and wherever, even if they don't have home charging. They need to know the market has cars that will fit their needs, whether it's a sales rep doing hundreds of miles a day, a small farmer who needs to pull a trailer of cabbages, or two cords of wood and a snowplough, or a family of eight going to the cinema as a group. They need to know the dealers will sell them the right car for their needs and be able to service and repair it if needed. And they need to know the charging process will be slick and seamless. On top of that the government needs to understand where the lost fuel duty is going to come from. Of course there are other things linked into this which are of the devil is in the details type. For example if we want more and more EVs to be made ideally in the UK we need to ensure a consistent supply of batteries. The top three companies in the battery market today are all based in the far east although some of them do have manufacturing facilities in Europe. If we want the UK to survive in the vehicle manufacturing market or indeed to thrive and move forward, we need to be looking at getting battery manufacturing working here in the UK. This is already happening with companies such as British Fault, which is looking at five locations for a larger plant with an annual capacity of 10 gigawatt hours of batteries aimed at mass market cars, with the possibility of adding another 20 gigawatt hours after that. However, once we've got all that in place, we're laughing and we've still got nine years to do it. If we look at the progress we've made in the last nine years, we can feel pretty confident that we'll be in a good position in 2030 in the UK. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. The holy grail of nuclear technology is a fusion reactor. For those of you who don't know, nuclear power at the moment comes from two different methods, fusion and fission. The predominant one is fission where radioactive isotopes fire off electrons which split the atom of other bits of the isotopes and create heat. But the other type is fusion and this is where atoms are forced together under intense pressure and heat and in theory the reaction causes more heat which can be used to create steam and generate electricity. The problem is that to do this you need heat at millions of degrees celsius and a high pressure environment to create the appropriate conditions for fusion. These are hardly ideal conditions for things to occur in real life, and that's always been one of the issues with the process. However, a new company formed by people working at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, believe they've cracked the problem. They're using giant magnets to contain the heat and pressure in what's known as a tokamak, and they claim to have managed to create one of these which is both small and relatively affordable. They're starting testing now with the aim to get this commercialised by the end of the decade. Will it work? I don't know. They've been saying the same thing about hydrogen cars for years. Nuclear fusion has always been 10 years away. But we can keep our fingers crossed that this comes to fruition, mainly because this method is less dangerous than nuclear fission, cannot create a meltdown, and produces far, far less radioactive material, which is radioactive for a far, far shorter time than uranium. So, fingers crossed. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. All access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness, where we're talking about why EV charging and ice fueling will meet in price. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter and everything else I do, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. You can pay anything from... A dollar to $20 a month to help. And every little bit does help. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called, So, You've Gone Electric? It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library. Please check it out. I know from my stats that quite a few of you are actually going out and reading it in the Lending Library, so just let me know what you think about it. Thank you. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description and the show notes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, Santa brought him a big box of rechargeable electric toothbrushes, 50 of them. Problem is he can't recharge them all at the same time like he wants because it will blow his main fuse.
1: If if they could be all plugged in at once, which they can't, that will never happen.